I'm going to do something this morning in a sermon that's kind of unlike me. Um, I'm going to try to preach something that I've been, been trying to wrap my head around literally for a couple of years, and it's not fully baked yet. But I'm going to, I'm, but I think it's baked enough to try to bring you in and help you experience some of the goodness of it, not the sermon, but the goodness of God. And I'm saying I don't think I have it all figured out yet, but here's what I've learned in life. I know you'd never have it all figured out. And so I'm going to, this is the kind of sermon today that, that, um, that I, that I hope what you can do is you can, you can put your thinking caps on and you can kind of follow with me in a process. And it's going to make sense to you as you go along. And, uh, so, so kind of here, here's the deal. I, years ago, I was really struck by the last ending chapters of the book of John, which Jesus is, he's talking to the Father. And in those verses, he keeps coming back to the same statements over and over. He basically talks like this. God is, I am in you and you are in me. And now they are in me and they are in us. And he keeps talking about this relationship that God, that Jesus has with the Father, but that he invites us into. And that we're part of somehow this relationship. And that that relationship with him and the Trinity and God, who God is, that's explained here, and we're going to get to this, um, should affect everything about our everyday lives. And so, um, so that's what we want to look at today. We want to think about how does that, who God is, primarily as it is Trinity, that's what he's talking about there, you're in me and I'm in you, Father, and the Spirit's one with us, um, that how does that affect us? And so I want to start off by making a statement, and it's this, and it's tied to you, and we're going to come back to this at the very end. I'm going to start now and come back to, oh, and how tied in at the very end. It's just this. You're not an ordinary person. That I'm not an ordinary person. And that we are not meant to live ordinary lives. You know, when you were a little kid, you know, we just had a baby dedication. With, and look, at there was all these small children up here. The ones that are old enough to talk, if you ask them, what do you want to be when they grow up? Most little kids, before they face the reality of life where maybe try and fail and don't succeed or people criticize, before you have all that, most little kids, and and you, when you were little, you want to be something extraordinary. You know, you dreamed of doing something extraordinary. You wanted to be a firefighter who saved people's lives. Right? You wanted to be a, a, a movie star. Hey, I see, I see your girls always on YouTube and they're always singing on YouTube. And, uh, they want to be, they want to be singing sensations. They want to be movie stars. You know, they're little, they're little kids. They want to be something extraordinary. You want to be, you want to be president. Or you want to be the, the best mom or husband in the world and you're going to be the per- perfect parent, whatever it is. You want to be a princess or a king. You want to be something extraordinary, right? You are extraordinary because of God. And that's what I want us to figure out today. So let's start at the beginning, the very beginning, to make this all work. And let's think about God. And then it's going to, how does it relate to us? So in the scriptures, and this is something that you probably haven't really thought of like this, because I had been wrestling with it, and it wasn't until I found some authors who wrote about this, and I'm like, man, how did I miss this for so long? Of sort of the significance of it. In the scriptures, God is revealed as Trinity. God is revealed as three in one. 
And this is a really important starting point, that God is three in one. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament reveal God as Trinity. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us, plural, make man in our image, plural, according to our likeness, plural. Um, he couldn't be talking about angels there, because people are trying to figure out, what's God really saying here? If he's not talking about Trinity, what's he really saying? And you say, well, he's talking to the angels. Let's make, let's make man in our image. That couldn't be, because man's not made in the image of angels. Man's made in the image of God. So in the very beginning, God reveals himself as Trinity in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he goes to great lengths to show that he is Trinity. In Mark chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, at the baptism of Jesus, it reveals all the characters of the Trinity at one time. It says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So Jesus is being baptized. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So what do you see here? God reveals himself as Trinity, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present at one time. Why is that important? Because some people would say, yeah, God was the Father, then he was the Son, now he is the Spirit. There's some churches in our area that believe believe that. They don't believe in the Trinity. But Scripture is clear, it's Trinity. So why is this important? This is why it's so important. Because it reveals... I would say this, the most essential character quality of God and the character quality of God from which everything else flows. And this is what reveals about God. God is relationship. God is, not that God has relationships, he does, but God is relationship. He reveals himself as three in one. He's revealing the fact that he is relationship. That in his very core, God is relationship. For all of eternity, God is relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, forever in perfect, loving, joyous, happy, complete unity. Have you ever had that as your picture of God? If I said draw a picture of God, most of us would draw a guy with a big white beard, maybe with a stick in his hand or whatever, and say, there's my picture of God. And maybe you would even have a frown or a scowl on his face. But the picture of God revealed in in, in Scripture is relationship. God the Father, think of this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, forever, from, from forever to forever, however that works, in perfect, loving, joyous, happy, complete Unity. That's who God is. God is a relationship. God is a circle of passion and life and fellowship. Think of it that way. If you had to figure, how would you draw that? God is a circle of passion and life and love and fellowship. God is fundamentally relationship. He is fundamentally a relational being. And so many times in the history of the church world, when we think about Trinity, if we think about it at all, it's simply to try to explain God like a formula. You know, God is Trinity, meaning God is three in one, so we say he's like an, he's like an egg. He's got a shell and a white and a yolk. Or God is like space. He has, you know, height, width, and depth. You know, those are fine, but they miss the real point. God being Trinity is about God being 
relational. Relating with himself three in one. Imagine God has always and will always exist as a joyous, loving, happy, complete relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't need anyone else. He is totally happy and complete in himself. See, God's not some lonely, sad being floating on a cloud who created Adam and Eve so that he could have someone to play with. That's not who God is. God is complete and perfect relationship. Now this God, this relationship, this eternal, loving, beautiful picture of relationship, Trinity, created mankind and created you and me as a result and created the world. And the question is, why did he create us? Why did he make all of this? It's because God wanted to share or expand his relationship. That's what love is. Love is God's perfectness, loving unity, expanding to include other people. God wanted to share his love, to share his goodness of the reality of the Trinitarian relationship. He wanted to expand it beyond just the Godhead And so he expanded it by creating a world and people who could experience it. There's a guy who writes about this. His guy's name is Baxter Kruger. And when I read his book a few years ago, about a year ago, it just, I literally said, I'm doing this master's program on spiritual formation, and when I read this book, I stopped and I said to the professor, this is what I've been trying to figure out for three years about the gospel, about the book of John. This idea of God and Trinity and relationship. And it's the first person I ever read in all my, all my Bible college and all my seminary who wrote about the relational aspect of the Trinity. And, and this is what Baxter Kruger says. He says, The Father, Son, and Spirit created us so that we could participate in their life together. So that we could share in their knowledge and laughter and fellowship, in their insights and creativity and music, in their joy and intimacy and goodness so that all of it could be played out in us and in our ordinary lives. I read that, I'm like, this, if we could get our heads around this, this will change everything about how we view God and our own lives and how we live. That the Father, Son, and Spirit created us so that we could participate in their life, not inviting God into our life, But we could participate in their life together so that we could share in their knowledge and laughter and fellowship and their insights and creativity and music and their joy and intimacy and goodness so that all of it could be played out in us in our ordinary lives. So he created the world for man and he created man for relationship. The goal was to extend Trinitarian love and unity and goodness and life to participate for mankind to be able to participate in the life that God already had established. And isn't that exactly what we see in the Garden of Eden? It's exactly what we see. God and Adam and Eve and the animals all living in love, perfect relationship, goodness, and joy together. Adam and Eve were living in an extension of the relationship that exists within the Trinity. They were fulfilling Genesis 1. Grab your Bible. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We'll read a little bit more than I started off quoting in Genesis 1.26. Look at Genesis 1, 
Verses 26 to 28 with me. If you're visiting, there's Bibles on the chairs in front of you. You're welcome to grab one and read along. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep it. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So look what we have here. Think of this statement right here. When I wrote this down, I'm like, I never thought like this. The Trinity made mankind to be like the Trinity. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, made mankind to be like the Trinity. It talks about here we are image bearers of God. The Greek word for image bearers is icon. So the reason I bring that up is when we think of icon, we might get the idea. An icon is a representation of something else. It's the, the so the Nike swoosh is this icon. When you see that, you know what? It's this company. You know, and you can think of any logo you see, it's an icon, it represents something bigger. When you see the icon, you understand the bigger picture behind it. It says we are icons, we represent and express something of God, something that is greater than us. We are like God and reveal God. Now in this text we read, how does it say that we express? How is the image of God expressed in us? It says one way in particular. It says mankind should rule over all the, over the, all the earth, all the, over the created being, all the, the animals in the earth. That we extend the godness that we are image bearers of into his kingdom. That we are kingdom agents. We are his representatives on the earth. So that's how we express it. But it says something more important, I think, or maybe not more important, but equally as important, that we generally don't see How is his image experienced? I've heard lots of sermons preaching about how we express it through being kingdom rulers and dominion. And back back in the word of faith days, they talked about it all the time. Because everybody's talking about take the dominion of of the kingdom. But look what it says. How is his image experienced? It's experienced in relationship. Look at verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Well, that right before before I get anything else, that takes away any nonsense that says that there's male superiority or female superiority. Together, male and female, he created them. Look at that. God's image in mankind is expressed through male and female. He created mankind to reveal himself, right? The Trinity created man to reveal the Trinity. So he created mankind to reveal himself. So mankind is created to exist in relationship. Male and female. He said, when I'm going to create man to be like me, I'm creating mankind in relationship, male and female, who are then instructed to do what? To then multiply. And what are they doing? Creating more relationships. See, the starting point for understanding yourself and for understanding your life, and for understanding all the world around you, is this one word, Trinity. Loving, joyous, unified relationship. 
See, friends, you were never meant to be alone. You really never are alone. You are an image bearer of God, invited into the relationship of the Trinity to live with God and others in loving relationship. That's God's plan for mankind. To live in this reality, this relationship, the extension of the relationship of the Trinity, God created man to extend the reality of that good and loving relationship. That makes sense so far? But you might say, but what about sin? Adam and Eve didn't stay in that relationship for long. What about their fall from grace? Hasn't that wonderful relationship been ruined? I'll answer it this way. Yes, but. Yes, but. Because the story didn't end with Adam and Eve. Friends, you have got to follow my thinking here. That's, where the, that's what the incarnation is all about. What's the incarnation? Jesus coming in the flesh into our world. That's what the incarnation is all about. It's God, through Christ, restoring what was ruined in the loving relationship. That's what the, incar- the incarnation is. Jesus, an eternal part of Trinity, coming to mankind to become one of us to do life as a human being with us. And when Jesus, God himself, Trinity, comes to mankind as one of us to live life with us, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, what's he preach? What's his message to the whole world? It's almost the same message everywhere. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, this could say it this way. Wake up. If anybody's sleeping right now, wake up. Wake up. Because repentance, when we think of repentance, we usually think it means like, oh, you're bad, do something different. That's not really what repentance means. The word repentance really means epiphany. It means wake up. See life differently than you've been seeing it before. And as a result of what you see differently, change the direction of your life. That's what repentance means. It always starts with a revelation first. I realize I'm going the wrong way. I need to go the right way. So repentance really means wake up, change your thinking, change your direction, because God's kingdom or his relationship is right here for you to enter into. That's what the incarnate Christ preached everywhere he went. The incarnation is God's invitation for us to enter into his kingdom, his rule, his activity. If it's God's extending the circle of the Trinity to include you and me. Now, I've got to be able to picture things in my mind. I'm, I, that's just the way I am. And that, that imagery that God is, through the incarnation, is extending the circle of the Trinity and making it open for you and me. That'll change my life. See, Scripture says about Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, that, that when He came, what is His? He, you know, He came and He preached this message. And what? How did? How did? He, how did He accomplish His message? It says that Jesus is the reconciler. He brings those who were once lost and far away together with the Father and the Spirit. He extends the relationship of the Trinity. Now, unless you think I'm making it up, let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about that. Flip over in your Bible to to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. You're going to go, wow, that's exactly what he's saying. Colossians chapter 1, 
verses 19 to 22. Are you still hanging with me? I know this one's taken. You've got to kind of follow along. But I think if we get this, this will change how we live our everyday lives. We'll, we'll make it very practical at the end. Colossians 1, 19 to 22. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated him by your evil, from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Look at Jesus reconciles humanity with God the Father. Look what it says is our new reality. He says, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. He's opened, expanded the circle of the Trinity. He's brought you into his own presence and you are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault, all because of Jesus. See, that's where God says when you're in Christ where you live now, that you live in his presence. You live in the circle of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what I was trying to get, what was being communicated in the last couple chapters of John. He kept saying, we're together, we're in each other, we're all connected. He's saying, you're in the circle now. That's, who, that's where God says you live. And, and who does God say you are? You are ones who are holy and blameless. Through Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension, he has welcomed us into the abundance of the Trinity. Scripture says this over and over and over. Ephesians, it says, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Colossians says, you are hidden with Christ in God. What he's trying to say is, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not isolated. We have been invited into a life of the Trinity, and we are invited into a life of love and unity and joy, and get this, and holiness. That's the life we're invited into. Now that word holiness needs to be addressed here because I think it can really mess us up about what it means to live in that relationship of God in holiness. When most people think about God, if I was to give you all a piece of paper before church and said, write what one word describes God the best, I believe the word, the number one answer would be holy. And when we say that, what we generally think, we're thinking of that in a very judicial way meaning law and order, crime and punishment, blind justice. So holiness means legal perfection. So I say, what do you think about God? How much you're like legally perfect, don't break the law. So with this view of God, the Christian life becomes about having sins forgiven. It becomes solely about sin management making an angry God less mad because we're less bad. I'm trying to think how to express that. I think that's the best way I think most people would view God. Making an angry God less mad because you're less bad. 
I think that's how most people see their Christian life and see God. Right? Sin management. God is holy, so shape up or else. Moms and dads, when you raise your kids, don't ever try to communicate that as God. God is this loving, holy, holy, wonderful, perfect, loving being, and your life is not just to make God less mad by being less bad. The problem with this idea is it's divorced from Trinity. That concept, judicial holiness, judicial legal perfection, is divorced from Trinity. It's divorced from relationship. It's a skewed view of God. See, true holiness is about what? Holiness is derived from the word this. What's it derived from? What word? Wholeness. I heard the bunch of you say it. Holiness is derived from the word wholeness. Or in other words, completeness. God is holy. He is whole as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Completely loving and joyous and giving and forgiving. That's what holiness is all about. Now follow me here. If that's what holiness is all about, well then of course that would include things that we often reduce holiness down to. Actions towards ourselves or actions towards others. So of course, if God or I am holy and complete in love and joy and unity, then I will not murder, steal, or lie. Right? Those are the outflows, though, of being whole. Those are the outflows of wholeness, of holiness. The problem is, though, church, we often view God or live our lives focused on simply keeping these outcomes without understanding the source which is a life of love within the relationship of the Trinity that's been expanded to include us. If we do that, if we just focus on the, on the do's and don'ts, on the, on the don't lie, cheat, or steal, we focus on keeping the outcomes of holiness, life becomes just about lists. Do this, don't do that. Just manage sin. Instead of it being about living in an awareness that God has welcomed us into his passion, into his energy, into his goodness of the eternal love relationship that is God, that is Trinity. And friends, that's what Jesus accomplished in the incarnation. He extended the circle and brought us in. Is that making sense so far? Yeah? Didn't lose you. Okay, now... Let's move this from this kind of more theoretical into a discussion that makes it a little more practical. Let's think about how we live. Does your life feel like you are living in the reality of the Trinity? Sharing in the life and the love and the unity and the joy and the goodness that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share together? Maybe sometimes. Maybe you felt that today as we're, as we're singing songs together and you felt, you know how sometimes, it, it doesn't have to be in worship, it can be other times in your life where suddenly you, you become aware of the reality of God's presence and you, and you feel it. So maybe sometimes you experience that, but maybe sometimes not. If we answer no, I don't experience it or I'm not experiencing it, I'd say it's not because it's not true. I'd say it's more likely because we don't really understand what God's designed for life really is. And I'm telling you, I'm just trying to get my head around this myself, so I, I can't say I have, all, I have the answers to all this. But again, Baxter Kruger in the book, The Great Dance, 
writes about this, and I, and I think it brings us some real insight here. Listen to what he says. He says, there is our humanity. This is your everyday life. There is our humanity, which is the theater in which the great dance is played out through the Spirit. Now, he uses the word great dance as his word to describe the relationship of the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. He says, the best way he tries to describe the relationship of the Trinity, he said it's like a great dance. It's this perfect loving dance, he says, and he extends the dance to other people. But so it's this great dance. So he says, there is our humanity, which is the theater in which the great dance is played out through the Spirit. That is what motherhood and fatherhood are all about. That is what fishing, and I'm so glad he included fishing in that. That is what fishing, I felt, I felt compelled to fish after reading this book. That's what fishing and baseball and playing are all about. And laughter and romance and sex and cookouts and work. They are the very ways the beauty of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the great dance of the triune God, the glory, the fellowship, the life, are played out in us. It's through these everyday activities. Kruger says God created the world and us for the purpose of sharing what God has, unified love and joy and goodness, that the Holy Spirit extends that reality into all of us and all that we do. So the Holy Spirit, he's active in us, that we're the theater through which he plays. That in fact, the reason we have been created is to express God and experience God through what we do in our daily lives. Everything we do is intended to be an avenue to experience God's goodness and express God's um, greatness. Everything. It's why he says we enjoy baseball and picnics and fishing. He says there are ways to love others, to laugh, to run, be happy, to cheer, which are all the kind of things that happen within the loving unity of the Trinity. It's all about love and joy and goodness. He says the reason we like this, the reason we would enjoy fishing, or taking a walk on the beach, holding someone's hand, is because it's the theater in which the Holy Spirit is living through you and expressing His reality through you. It's the goodness of God expressed through um, us by the Holy Spirit. He says it's why we smile when we see a baby or a grandbaby. We have some friends visiting today from Michigan. First thing I wanted to do is show them Callie. Why? And she ran right up to me and, Papa, she didn't go by anybody else. She went by Papa. Actually, it's because she knows I give her everything, and she saw the balloons that are on display, and she wanted Papa. She kept saying, take me over there, because she knew Papa would give her anything, and I didn't, and she was shocked. But why do we smile? Why does a grandmother smile? I just say Callie, and Suzanne lights up like a Christmas tree. Why? Say Mark, not so much. Say Callie, you know? You've known me longer. Why do we smile when we see a baby? Why do we smile when these beautiful babies were up here today? Because we feel love. We see goodness. We experience joy. That's the Holy Spirit within us helping us experience what was intended to be the life of the Trinity, which is the life of the Trinity. The Trinity extended His goodness to us. 
And through all these things now, when we experience these things, the, we are, the life is a, it's a theater in which the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us so that we can experience what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit experience among themselves. It's why carpenters and teachers and bookkeepers can find fulfillment in using their giftings in life. It's God moving through us, creating and ruling and loving and caring. It's all part of God's design. Image bearers expressing their uniqueness as part of God's grand plan. These are the ways that the life of the Trinity is being played out in us. This world is a theater in which God's love is played out through us by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're coming to the end. There's no ordinary people. There's no ordinary lives. We are living in the life of the Trinity and our interactions and activities and expressions of his love and passion in us is our lives. We are made to experience the goodness of the Trinity and to express the goodness of the Trinity. There's no ordinary people. Do you think if we got this picture, and I'm telling you, I'm just trying to get my head around it, but you think if we get this idea that God is Trinity and oh, he's expanding it to us through the incarnation and he's welcoming us in so that in our daily lives, everything that we do is somehow supposed to be a reflection of that, an interaction with that, so that everything I do, my job, my fun, my activities are not just mundane. They're actually created by God for the Holy Spirit to be able to, 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 to move through us, to interact with each other and with him so that we experience the goodness that he always intended for us to have, which is the love of the Trinity. Do you think this might just change how you approach your job or your family or a stranger on the street? Because they are also image bearers reflecting the goodness of God and you can interact with them with the love of the Trinity that dwells in humankind. Might this change how you think about you? In our Good Friday experience, one of the stations, you had to look in a mirror and see yourself. Might this change what you think about you, you are not ordinary, you're not a loser, you're not a mistake, and you're never alone. You are an image bearer of God, invited into the loving unity of the Trinity in order to, to experience and express his goodness through your life. Are we starting to grasp this idea a little bit? This world and our lives are the theater in which the activity of the Trinity is played out. God has welcomed us into the loving community of the Trinity. That's the kingdom of God. Because of that, you matter. You are welcomed, in, welcomed into a relationship with God and you get to experience his goodness and share it with others. So friends, that's why no one's ordinary. That's why you're not a mistake. That's why you matter in the world, no matter if you say, yeah, but this is what we say all the time. Yeah, but I'm only a, but I only do. Because when you were a little kid, you started off saying, I want to be extraordinary. You wanted to be president, but you're not. You wanted to be a princess, and you say, but I'm not. God says you're extraordinary. Why? Because he designed it on purpose. That some of you are great at accounting. And some of you can build anything. And some of you can teach little kids. 
And he did it on purpose. So that in all those relationships, what we see is the reality of God's goodness in and through each other. So when I look at you, I don't look at you. I, this, is how I, this is what I want. I'm not there yet. When I look at you, I don't see the you that you maybe project at me, which comes through a life of brokenness often. I want to see the you that God sees in you. I want to see the you that God sees in you. This beautiful person that God created so that you could experience the love of God, the community of God, and that somehow as we relate together and interact together, we're supposed to experience that. So there's no ordinary people. We're all extraordinary. We just don't usually believe it about ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, I know I've been trying to wrap my head around some of these thoughts, and Lord, anything I said today that was muddled and didn't make sense, would you do us a favor? Because we're just trying to look at your word. Would you make it crystal clear in our minds, beyond my capacity to try to communicate something that is, that is big and life-changing? Could you just make it clear in our minds and our hearts? This incredible reality that you are relationship. You're not, you're not some white-haired, bearded guy sitting in heaven with a club looking to smack people They do something wrong. Holiness is wholeness, and you are the whole relationship. And from that flows love and goodness. God, help us to get a little grasp of that today. As we're praying today, I want us just to think about something. Because I don't want you, I don't want to move on. So many times we hear something like a message, and then we just say, oh, that was cool, or that was nice, or that was good, and we go on and we forget it all. We don't really move, we act. I just have a sense in my spirit today, there's a couple ways that you may want to react to what you heard. First way is this. You say, I don't feel extraordinary. I feel very not even ordinary. I feel below ordinary. And I question if God loves me. I feel alone. And I and I, I, I know I know I know I know Jesus. I know I He's my Savior. I've asked him in my life, but you know what? I'm not experiencing the reality of the Trinity of God. I don't feel like it. Because I'm thinking wrong. I want the Lord to help my thinking to change. I want to, I want to see me the way God sees me. I want to see other people the way God sees me. In prayer this morning, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You say, you know what?
So would you do a work just deep inside of our hearts and our spirits today? And Lord, carry it on. Help us to see your word as we're reading your word from now on. Help us to see these things that, that I'll speak to this and we go, wow, it's been here the whole time, but I just didn't see it. So Lord, we ask for that. another way that I I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. Maybe you're here and maybe you've been here for months and months and years and years and maybe you've the first time here. But something about talking about God today has made you understand that you need to be in a relationship with Him and you're not. And you really want to be. You know that you need to be. You want to be. And today you're ready to say yes to Jesus. You don't maybe even know what that all means because none of us really do completely, but we understand this. We're lost without God. Jesus came to be the reconciler to welcome us into the family of God. And so when we say yes to Jesus, we say, Jesus, come into my life. Become my Savior, my Lord. Meaning, I'm not going to be Lord of my life anymore. You be my Lord come into my life and please forgive all the junk in my life and make me brand new in you. And from this day forward, I want to live with you. If that's you this morning, again, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we say, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Pastor Mark, Lord, just raise your hand and promise not to perish. That's what we're pray for. Praise the Lord. Say yes to Jesus. So, Father, we love you today. We thank you, God, that you are good thank you, Lord, that you extend your love and your purpose and your grace, your wholeness into this world. You, through the incarnation, you said, come into the circle, the great dance. And God, would you help us now as we walk out of this place, we live our daily lives, that we would recognize it, we would see it, we would say, wait a minute, this isn't supposed to be an ordinary event. I want to watch the. I want to watch. I, I, I love the. I love watching the the Bucks win because I love the, the the excitement of it all. And part of that is something of the excitement of that you created man to experience because of the wholeness of the truth. Help us to see life differently. Help us to love each other more fully. See, we're not adversaries, but we're fellow companions. Expanded, extended, incorporated into the the love of the Trinity because of that we can experience you together. Lord, I pray that your goodness and your blessing will rest upon each one.